Pastor Scott, it's good to be here again and see all of you. I have to say, I'm going to offer a short prayer here in a minute before we launch, and uh, I do want to say that uh, I walked in this morning about 9 o'clock, a little bit later than I wanted to for the 9.30 start, and I walked up to the sound booth and gave Sonia a list of PowerPoints, and an exhaustive list of PowerPoints too, and so I hope that's not going to be an issue as we proceed, but... uh, She did such a good job and has done such a good job. Every time I've come in to do this, she's so competent. Pastor Scott, you're blessed with that team of the tech people in the media booth, Scott as well, and all the others. I just, I want to take a moment to recognize the extra work they do. Can we do that? I was impressed. I truly was impressed with she banged it out so quickly and so smoothly. I think I apologized two or three times and she just looked up and smiled and said, you're good. So I'm grateful. But I would like to pray. And um, our PowerPoint title start is the same we've had at war, very apropos. Uh, I want to pray before we go and then we will launch. So let's join me in prayer, will you? Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that we can come freely. We can walk in the doors, carry our Bibles, sing praises loudly not have a concern about walking into church and praising you. We know that's not the case everywhere. So we pray for brothers and sisters around the world that don't have the liberty that we have, and we thank you for what we do have, and we pray that you'd be working, that that would be maintained in this land where we live. We pray this morning, Father, that you would be magnified, Jesus, that you would be proclaimed, Holy Spirit, that you would be active, and that you'd meet every one of us where we're at that you'd touch us at our points of need, that you'd speak to our hearts right where we're at, that we'd be different for having come to our Father's house this morning. For all these things, we trust you and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, the the war series, it continues. The, The title is very appropriate. A couple times I've done a different title, but I thought that Pastor Scott starting this, and I have to say that, uh, He's tuned into the Holy Ghost because I don't know that any other book right now, Ephesians, would be more appropriate than the book we're studying and the season we're in. And uh, he's hearing correctly. And so uh, I hope I'm tracking with that this morning. I believe I'm hearing as well. War is a fitting topic today in our world, in the United States of America, um, with others. There's tension, there's warring going on, even potentially within the body of Christ. There is a bit of warring going on or potential for it. Uh, and the tension is, is very prevalent and it's real. So can I get real for just a moment? Let me, allow me just to uh, rewind a little bit. A few days ago uh, in the late afternoon, early evening, um, I was at home. I told Mary I wanted to run out. I wanted to get some supplements. Can anybody appreciate? Is anybody using supplements more than perhaps they used to? So I wanted to restock on my supplements, and so I ran out to get supplements, and I went to uh, one store. The shelf was vacant of that particular supplement. I went to another store, same thing. I looked for something else. I found that it was empty. Every store I walked in had a sign that said, as we know, masks required. As I drove from our house and around the city, it was smoke-filled, as you know, and the skies were unusual at that time of day where it was getting a little dusk, the hue, the color was even different. And I, I would say even a little bit eerie. Has anyone seen that with, when the sun is setting and rising and in the smoke? Have you ever thought that and thought, it just feels a little bit unnatural? 
Um, when I went to these different stores and around town, I saw 2,000-gallon poly tanks sitting available for people that also have fear that they're running out of water. Um, some people, when they turn their water valves, unfortunately, in the Klamath Basin, aren't getting water. Here's another one. Ammo sales are up and supplies are down. The cost of food and gas and lumber and what have you is going up. Um, hospitals are a little bit fuller than they're used to being. And, and a government that seems less than honest causing citizens to pause and wonder. At least I'm feeling that way. I don't know about you. Amen? On all these things. So, the war series is very fitting. At our recent men's meeting on Monday night, which I enjoyed and was well attended, um, and, and you brothers that aren't making it, come and join us. We need to have you in our midst. It's worth it. We were blessed. And by the way, John Herbolt makes a mean meal no matter what it is. Those, those meatballs were great. At that meeting, Pastor Scott shared with us, he took us to Elijah, 2 Kings Elijah. He spoke to us about Elijah and Elijah's servant. You know the story how it goes from 2 Kings. He, he re recalled, reminded us as he read the text, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. Give him a reassuring uh, enlightenment to see what's around us. And as Elisha prayed for his servant, certainly we know how the story goes. And then pastor reminded us, there's more with us than there are against us. And then the other thing he, he followed up with, he said, God is for us. He shared his own accounts, how the Lord has been laying that on his heart, that God is for us. And it's, it bears repeating for us. In the midst of all those things I just talked about, all those things I just recollected that we might be bumping up against, let's remember, God is for us. And there's more with us than there are against us. And so that's good for us to recollect. Obina, our brother Obina shared that night too. As Scott was good enough to ask men to share what was on their heart, and a few did. Obina had something to share that I thought is worth repeating at this moment. And uh, he has an interesting perspective coming from Nigeria. And he's not always lived in the United States, but having come here, he shared and he said, we have known and, and we know it's true. There's been great ease, great comfort for us as a nation, great blessing, great provision, and great grace over all these years. By and large, has that not been our experience? And then he went on to say, however, many countries, most of which have known dis-ease rather than ease, discomfort rather than comfort, lack, hardship, and now we too are feeling the weight and pressure to some degree what we've not felt before. That's really where we are right now. And I don't know how much it's going to revert back or how much we ought to think it's going to revert back. Things have changed forever in many respects. And that's okay. We need to adjust with that. That's part of what we're looking at here today. The question becomes, how do we respond? And so this, this, this is an interesting thought, how we respond. It's this PowerPoint. If we always do what we've always done, we will always get what we've always got. And you can also personalize that. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And that's a wordy statement, but it, that bears stopping for a moment and considering it. If we're in a situation now in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplace, in our churches, in our communities, in our nation, if we're hoping to see a difference, 
there's a shaking going on. That goes without saying. And if we want to uh, not be shaken, God's word says clearly that his people, the righteous will not be shaken. In the midst of a shaking, it doesn't mean a shaking won't go on. It means that in the midst of the shaking, the righteous won't be shaken. And I think that's one of the ways, and you can fill in the blank. You need to figure out what you want different and what you need to do in order to see the difference. And I thought that was a very fitting saying. Or another way of saying it is, what are you and we and me going to be purposeful about? What are we going to be delivered about to see change occur? That, that's something we ought to be thinking about and writing down. And I also would encourage you this morning, there's a number of scriptures I'm covering. And um, they're worth writing down. They're worth recording when I had the opportunity not long ago to read out of, uh, or to, to bring the word on the word, there were a lot of passages that were really, and we're talking about the armor of God this morning. One of those things, of course, will be the sword of the spirit. And so you, I think it's very apropos to jot those words down. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, Ephesians chapter 6, we're there. Uh, we've looked at the armor of God. Pastor Scott did a great job last week of taking us through several early parts of Ephesians 6 and then into three pieces of the armor. We're going to look at all the parts of the armor this morning. Uh, last week, uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes that we uh, were shod with, with the gospel of peace, the good news, those were covered to some degree. I want to look now at Ephesians 6, 16, and 17 from the Amplified. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those are the second set of three parts of the armor we'll look at this morning. Um, remembering real quick last week, we looked at the belt of truth. I want to say that Psalm 145, speaking of truth, and by the way, truth is the first piece of armor it says to put on, and the others are attached to it, the breastplate of righteousness, the sheath for the sword of the Spirit attached to the belt of truth. In Psalm 145, speaking of truth, Psalm 145, I think it's the 18th verse, it says, God is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And, and that's, a, that's a really fitting word because we're talking about calling out to God. We're talking about maybe calling out even more to God. And if we do that, we ought to be positioned in order for him. Don't we want him near us when we're calling out to him? And that word is telling us, then be current with God. Be, uh, be truthful with God. Here's another way of saying it. Remember the woman at the well. Okay, when Jesus and she had that encounter at the well... He gave her an opportunity. He said to her, go get your husband. He gave her a chance to be truthful or not, and she did. She said, I have no husband. And then he said, yes, that's correct. And then he read her mail. He told her about the number of husbands she had and that she was living with her live-in boyfriend. And nonetheless, here's some good news this morning. She wasn't disqualified from having a conversation with Jesus, nor was she disqualified from ministering and serving the Lord after she received that living water. That's good news. But the point here about truth is, 
I think all of us are posed at times at an intersection where the Lord is watching if we'll respond truthfully, honestly, correctly, or with integrity. And if we want the belt of truth to be positioned in such a way that will help us with the rest of the armor, our response always needs to be one of truth. Amen? And so that's the idea, the belt of truth. And Jesus went on to say, God is looking for those. See, that blesses me. I don't feel disqualified when I hear what Jesus said about that. I feel like Jesus is telling me, you want to make contact with the Father? You want the kingdom of God operating in your life? God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and truth. And all I do when I hear that is, you've just told me how to make a solid contact. Instead of, well, I'm, I have gray areas. I guess I'm not going to get connected. Amen? So that's some of the ideas. Breastplate of righteousness. Um, and I do want to support breastplate of righteousness. Mary and I were speaking, my wife, the other day about the armor of God. And as we talked about it, she said, yeah, these ideas about not being completely truthful, uh, our armor, I've thought of it other ways, but she brought a really interesting perspective. She goes, it, it almost becomes baggy, sloppy. It's not cinched up. You want the belt of truth to be cinched up tightly. You want the armor of God to be on. You don't want a breastplate to have all sorts of areas where it's hanging and sagging. You want, don't you want it cinched up about you? And she talked about it being, so all these things, the armor of God obviously is not physical pieces that we're putting on, but they're spiritual things that become real armor. And so the breastplate of righteousness, let me support it with Psalm 25, 20 and 21 on a PowerPoint we have. Uh, and it says this, guard my soul and rescue me. Do not let me be ashamed or disappointed for I have taken refuge in you. Now here's, here it is. Let integrity and uprightness protect me for I wait expectantly for you. And so if we really know we're at a point, there's a few things that we need to address. Let's address them because integrity and uprightness causes that armor just to suck up tight where we're not vulnerable. And this passage supports that idea. And then, of course, shoes, the, the gospel of peace, the good news. And Pastor Scott brought it in a way I'd not heard it before, and I really liked it. He reminded us we're, we're ministers of reconciliation. The book says it, that part of our, the charge that the Lord has given us is to be people that reconcile, that are people of peace. Uh, Psalm 34 says, seek peace and pursue it. And he reminded us of that. Uh, in addition... This says the gospel of peace. It, it talks about shoes. I don't know if you read it in your version or not, but it talks about sh putting shoes on and it talks about preparation. It uses the word preparation there as we put on shoes of the gospel of peace. Well, so let's look at preparation for a moment from 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What a good word that is right there. I don't know about you, just that word blesses me. But God is saying, be prepared, and I, I want to encourage us to be prepared. Be prepared uh, in season and out of season to let people know. Um, but that's part of, you know, when we're walking in this armor, God says, don't just stand in your armor, move in it and look for opportunity to let people know why you have the hope that you do. And I really like that last bit, don't you? Do it with gentleness and do it with respect. Be gentle offenders of their faith. I mean, the very thing that we tell people, we can be a part of them receiving it well or not. And so that's something to consider. Let's move on to these other parts of armor. 
the shield of faith. And uh, before I go into talking more about the shield of faith, I've always liked this passage from Psalm 121, 5. Uh, I'd like to look at it. This is uh, from the Amplified, but it says, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. That's from Psalm 121. Look at the parentheses, which it has in the Amplified version. The side not carrying a shield. So it says, Jesus is your shade at your right hand. And then it says, the side not carrying the shield. It's almost as if that word is saying, we assume, reader of Psalm 121, that you've got the armor on. We want to tell you that Jesus is your shade at your right hand, but we also are telling you, make sure you have the shield of faith up as well. We have a lot of things that he's given us. I've always loved that little extra there. So the study of shield is interesting. There's a shield called a buckler. Uh, you read it in Psalm 18. It talks about a buckler. It talks about various aspects of who the Lord is in his protection of us. And one is a buckler. A buckler is the Captain America kind of thing. It's the circular shield. That's a buckler. But this shield, when you really study it, is a door-sized shield. The shield of faith is the size of a door. I don't know how many of you saw the movie 300. Um, a lot of guys probably like it. I like it. Some ladies might like it. Some ladies don't. It's pretty violent. But it's a, it's a powerful movie. And you talk about armor and warriors. They really have armor on in that movie. And there's a scene where all of those 300 warriors have door-sized shields. And they all come together against huge numbers, way beyond 300. And arrows, fiery arrows that are flying towards them, and they all come together, not just to protect themselves with the dorsi shield, but they come together and they create a canopy, and every one of those fiery arrows are deflected. And I want to say this, when several soldiers come together, it creates an even greater canopy and a greater covering, and that bodes so well to one of the reasons we're here this morning. Not every one of us are just carrying individual shields, but I see a lot of shields of faith in here. And the same goes true when we come on a night of worship. The same goes true when we have Monday men's night or the women's gathering or as we're about to launch our fall home groups. You know, I mean, I don't want to just cover up here. I want to have coverage as often as I can. And uh, I want to encourage us to be involved in regular gatherings where we have a great canopy over us, where we can engage in these groups. And additionally, this is worth, this is bears uh, looking at. Look at Job uh, 3.25 with me from the Amplified. It says this. Uh, it says, for the thing which I greatly feared. We're talking about faith. The opposite of faith is fear. Look what it says in Job 3.25. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come to me. That's a very interesting principle. The opposite of faith is fear. And it, it's almost, bear with me if you will, uh, the faith system of the, of, of the kingdom of darkness. And it, and it was pointed out well recently, darkness is not a kingdom. But from that, from that side, they have a faith but it's fear. There's a spirit of fear, and the spirit of fear is powerful. And things that are perceived, even if they're not true, can be very powerful, can be very disabling. Even if you sense them, it doesn't mean they're true, but they can wreck you. Just think about where you are this morning. What thing or things are you fearing? And I'm here to tell you this morning, don't think that they're not impacting your life. 
We've not been given a spirit of fear, however. We've been given a spirit of power, love, soundness of mind, self-discipline, self-control, and a shield of faith. And so, uh, I want to encourage us, uh, we don't have to become fear. We can recognize it, but we have a shield of faith. We have others with a shield of faith. We have a sword of the Spirit as well. And uh, so, it's good for us to resist fear, and it's good for us to exercise faith. And... uh, and so I'm encouraging us to that end. Here's another part of it. Um, it's from Psalm 3411. Uh, it says, and this is David. Now consider, consider David with me. David, we know he took down, as a young man, took down a giant. We know he killed a lion. We know he killed a bear, or lions and bears, plural, as a shepherd. You read it in the book. With his bare hands, he somehow conquered lion, bear. He took down a giant. When the rest of Israel was behind him shaking in their armor, be, now why? How could he do that? In Psalm 34, he didn't say, let me teach you how to kill a giant, a lion, and a bear. He said, come children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worship him with obedience. Why? Well, for various reasons, But another reason would be, so when you're faced with a giant, a lion, and a bear, you'll have victory as he did. He taught us what we needed in order to have victory over the lions, the giants, and the bears in our life. Amen? Amen. Fearing God. So we talk about faith and fear here this morning. A shield of faith, not fear. We walk by faith and not by sight, and God is for us. God is for us. And then finally, helmet of salvation. We see, not finally, but second to last, helmet of salvation. It covers our head, our mind. I just want to say, um, I have to think the great majority, if not all of us in here, are saved. Our names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. If that's not the case, if you're not saved, if you don't know today, if you are, see Pastor Scott, see Cheryl, see myself, see any of the elders in the church. We can make sure before you go out the door that you are connected with the Lord the way you ought to be. But uh, the helmet of salvation covers our mind. When we came to the Lord, we have a renewed mind. The Bible tells us that we are made new. There's transformation that comes into our life when our minds are renewed. Uh, The Bible also tells us to take our thoughts captive. The idea here for me, and I think for all of us is, we ought to be weeding the, the weeds that pop up in our mind. We ought to be doing some weeding. There's some Holy Spirit roundup. We ought to be spraying. It's the Word of God. Be washed by the water of the Word and Holy Spirit roundup. Amen? Loving the Lord with all of our mind. That's one of the greatest commandments, too. It's like, love the Lord with all your mind. And then, and then repentance, you know, to repent. Actually, the definition is to change your thinking. But we don't just change our thinking. We change our thinking, and then we, we change thinking in an action that, that is, comes as a consequence of our changed thinking follows. So these ideas about the helmet of salvation, we put it on. And as a consequence, salvations then are realized. It's not just the salvation of our soul, which is primary, which is utmost, which is most important. The thief on the cross understood the salvation he needed in the hours he had remaining to live. But had the thief been cut off and lived another 15 years, he could have experienced Jesus not only as Savior of his soul, who provided a bridge from earth to heaven, but that same bridge caused heaven to flow into our lives when we get saved. He's not just Savior for a point in time when we leave our earth suit. He's Savior day in and day out. He's a savior. 
It's one of the greatest things we can teach our children that Jesus isn't just our Savior of our soul. Of course, we must tell them that and teach them that and see them grow in that. But that he, we can call on him because he's, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved is not limited to just the salvation of our soul. Look at Psalm 68, 19, and 20 that kind of expounds on this. Blessed be the Lord who bears our burden day by day, the God who is our salvation. God is to us a God of acts, plural, acts of salvation. And to the God the Lord belongs, escapes, plural, escapes from death, setting us free. I don't know about you, but that passage excites me. I mean, I'm going to put that passage in my toolbox. I want to bring that word up. That passage ought to be stamped on the side of the sword of my spirit. How about you? I mean, that's a good word right there. That's one of the ones I thought you should write down. That, that's an exciting word. I can get excited about the Word of God, so, and I hope you can too. The Savior of our soul throughout our life as well. So uh, we consider this the sword of the Spirit, um, a two-edged sword. I, always, I like to think of this as it relates to the sword of the Spirit um, because in uh, Hebrews 4.12 it says it's a two-edged sword. I mean, they emphasize, they, there's a reason. I mean, it could say the sword of the Spirit and that would work, but we read there's a two-edged sword. To me, it just means... That sword has been given attention to be sharp and cut and penetrate no matter how you wield it and from both sides. And in my mind, I've always made one side from the Old Testament and one side from the New Testament. And um, so on that note, one of my favorite passages that I like to quote when I feel I need to quote a passage like this is from Deuteronomy 33:27. I've memorized it as, the eternal God is our refuge and he thrusts out the enemy from before you. Um, the... The contemporary English version says, the eternal God is our hiding place. He carries us in his arms. When God tells you to destroy your enemies, he will make them run. What a great word. The eternal God. You take that sword out of your sheath and say, no, the eternal God is my refuge and he thrusts out the enemy from before me. I decree it. I declare it in Jesus' name. And then the other side, if you want a New Testament passage like it, would be 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. I like to, I've memorized it as, uh, the Lord is faithful to protect you and strengthen you from the evil one. What a promise. Let's see how it reads here. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you, setting you on firm foundation and will, not might, not maybe, not perhaps, no asterisk. See, I happen to believe it. And will protect you and guard you from the evil one. Oh, Lord, thank you for that word. See, I bank on that word. I bank on that word. Here's some favorites of late for me, some declarations. Um, and I've said this before. Uh, for the last eight months, maybe a year, as I get out of bed every morning as well as this morning, I make this declaration when I throw the covers back and put my feet on the floor. I say, in Jesus, I live and I move and I have my being. That's Acts 17, 28. Um, now, about a week or two ago, I threw the covers back and hit the floor, and I said it really half-hearted. I just kind of spit it out. I was kind of stumbling to where I was, or just waking up, and I could tell, you didn't have much behind that. And I felt like the Lord kind of prompted me and said, if you're going to say it, say it. If you're going to decree it, decree it. Declare it. Do you want to start your day out, you know, whispering it, or do you want to start out with a statement that you're making that I believe is powerful? We studied that not long ago about decree a thing, and it will be established for you. See, if you decree it with your heart, you say it with meaning, you say it with faith, 
These declarations are so powerful. Uh, here's another one that I've customized, and I've kind of customized it for my wife Mary and I. I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, we have done, we are doing, and we will continue to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What a word. You know, you kind of personalized Philippians 4.13 there. And then finally, uh, one of the more recent ones I've been doing and I really like is uh, Psalm 54.4 from the New Living. It says, but God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. Pretty simple. But, But what a word. The Lord is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. You know, 10,000 might fall at your right, 1,000 might fall on one side, 10,000 on the other, but the Lord is my helper and the Lord will keep me alive. I believe that, don't you? Two or three of you do. I believe that, don't you? Come on. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. I was... uh, you know, we just went Ephesians 6, 16 through 20, and it's a lot of content. But here we are, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, with all prayer and petition. This is how this last part will wrap here. With all prayer and petition, pray with specific requests at all times, on every occasion and in every season, in the Spirit and with this in view. Stay alert with all perseverance and p- petition, interceding in prayer for all of God's people. That's a charge right there. That's a good word, but there's a lot there. Just in that text right there, there's so much. Praying in the Spirit, two things. I'll probably cover this section a lot quicker than I did the previous. But I felt we'd miss it if we didn't talk about this as well. So praying in the Spirit, two things. Uh, Number one, that we stay attuned to the Holy Spirit. If we're driving, we don't have time to do a lot of things to kind of primer uh, the presence of the Spirit of the Lord and tune in. But if we do have opportunity to maybe sing a song or two, read a chapter, and, and tune into the Spirit and feel like I'm, I'm sensing, I'm, I'm warming up, I'm tuning into the Spirit. So praying in the Spirit, I think, A, is that. I believe it's a, a number of things. I believe it's, A, that, to stay attuned in and with the Holy Spirit. For instance, on Thursdays when we pray here, and I have to encourage you, 7 o'clock Thursday mornings, we pray for an hour. It's rich. I feel different. When I leave, and I know that all of us that are praying probably feel different, and something's changed. It changes things. And that happens on Tuesday at noon. It happens during our men's group on Monday. And it happens in home groups as well. I mean, if you always do what you've always done, I'm just trying to say that if we would apply ourselves in this hour where we so sorely need to be leaning into the Lord and not be comfortable, I mean, the way circumstances are going now, we're going to have to do something different because we most certainly are in different times. And, and this is what we're talking about, even with praying in the Spirit. Um, so when we pray over here in, on uh, Thursday mornings, there are times in intercessory prayer in that prayer group Um, where someone else will pray a verse, they'll pray a phrase, they'll pray a statement, and I've been meditating and thinking, and they'll say the exact phrase that's resting on my heart and in my head, and they've beat me to it and said it, and all I'll say is, yes, amen, that's right. I'm bearing witness because the Holy Spirit is the one that causes those sorts of common themes that rise to the surface. That's praying in the Spirit. And so uh, it's an exact phrase or word or uh, you know the Holy Spirit is leading. And then, then certainly praying in the Spirit is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Savior, Healer, 
baptizer in the Holy Spirit, soon coming king. If you wonder what foursquare means, there's the four ideas that are foursquare is about. Savior, healer, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, soon coming king. So I want to say this. Um, evidenced with tongues. That's how you have a prayer language. That's how you pray in the Spirit. Don't believe the lie that it's just for some. It's for every believer. If it wasn't the case, you wouldn't read about it in the Gospel of Mark at the end of Mark when he says, every believer. It's for every one of us. Praying in the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit. And so what do I want to say about this? Um, here's the key to, to receiving your prayer language. And have being prayed for, and then whether you receive your prayer language that moment or not, here's the key. Hunger for baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidenced with tongues. Hunger and a deep desire is the key that causes that to be realized. And just because at a moment when you pray and it doesn't happen, you give up and say it's not for me, is believing something that's not true. It is for you. I've known many people who have pressed in and persevered and then had it realized. And I want to encourage you to stay the course. I mean, if, if you today, here we are at 19 September 2021, what if you just committed to it and said, I'm not going to stress about it, but I'm going to lean in and press in and have a strong desire for it. I'm going to read through the book of Acts and let that speak to me. And I'm going to believe that by the time I hit the tape on January 1 of 2022, God's going to meet me. Look what Luke 11:13 says. Right here. If you then being evil, that is sinful by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask him? I would, if I'm praying for that, I'd be saying, I read in Luke eleven thirteen. you said. See, you can do that. And I encourage you to that end. And, and, and Jesus said, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6 says, as we've read, pray in all times on every occasion, staying alert. Be persistent in your prayers. Pray for all believers everywhere. Let me just say this as far as persistence go. We read about Daniel. It says Daniel got on his knees three times a day with the windows open towards Jerusalem and giving thanks, he prayed. And you might think, and so here's why I want to encourage us because Paul's encouraging the Ephesian church and us, the readers, to be persistent in prayer. Now, I don't know if you know which direction to lean to, to be towards Jerusalem or if you want to open your windows in the middle of winter, but I'm telling you if you pray more than just, but if you even get a morning session going at, thir, uh, at 30 minutes. I can remember a time when we pastored in Santa Rosa and there was an issue with the family in our church and for whatever reason, I applied this three times a day. I, I, just, I don't know why, I just thought, I'm gonna pray three times a day about this particular thing. And I did, and in about two weeks, it resolved. And there's power in, in praying, and I, they weren't three one-hour prayer sessions. They were just three specific periods of time a day throughout the day that I addressed this issue, and I saw change come about. I hope that encourages you. Uh, and Jesus said to watch and pray. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, uh, when he found uh, Peter, James, and John uh, asleep, you know, he said to him, look, watch and pray. He said, watch and pray. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But part of what's connected to that is, he, it says, if you want to overcome temptation. So let me just ask all of us, where are our temptations that we know we want victory over? Watch and pray. And it, that, Jesus said, is a solution to overcome temptation. We ought to have active prayer lives. And then he says, pray for all believers everywhere. Paul says here in 
in Ephesians 6. It's a call, it's, it's a call to intercessory prayer. I just have to say that. We are called to intercessory prayer. I have to ask you, you know, I, on my phone I have a little uh, icon. It's a notebook. And so I stay real current on that notebook. I hit it and I have prayer list. I have two or three. And I don't know about you, but there's, I'm always, I'll bet you Pastor Scott as well, there's always someone that's on my heart. There's a current someone I'm praying for. And then, then it becomes realized or resolved. But you have prayer requests that float across your path. And, and I think we have a duty. I'm going to say that. We have a duty as children of God to pray for other people. We have a duty for sure. I, I, I would feel amiss if I'm only praying about my immediate stuff. And I do pray about our immediate stuff. But I certainly pray about a lot of other stuff. And why we're at it, that includes Pastor Scott and Cheryl. That includes our praise and worship leaders. Every three or four groups of them. You know, Seth and Kimberly and Caleb and help me with the other at this moment. Shelly, that's right. We pray for them all and the teams that are connected to them. And, and Mike and Mindy and uh, uh, Cody and Rachel and uh, the council and other ministries and the office staff. Um, we pray. I mentioned Scott. Look at, we need to be holding our hands up, church. I'm just encouraging you, please, uh, from this day forward to the end of the year and certainly as we start the new year. And I would say, it would rock our house here if we prayed like that and, and were led by the Spirit. It would change things. If the number of people now that are praying become this number of people praying with any regularity, it would be a blessing and we'd say, my gosh, he does answer prayer. I encourage us to that end. Amen. I'd like to ask the praise and worship team to come up. Uh, we're going to wind down with the last couple of thoughts, but it'd be a good time to make their way. I do want to say, um, in closing, I had a couple of Holy Spirit prompted ideas. Um, I believe, and that's what I'm sharing now. Sometimes I'll do this right at the start, but here they are. It's um, Acts 17, 26 from the Amplified says, and, and I think this is important for us. Um, first, let me go to our essentials. Can we go to the, yeah. So here's one thing I want to say. As far as tension that I talked about when we opened the message, there's tension in all these various areas we identified. And there can be here in church, hopefully not to that degree, and I don't believe there is. But I want to say something. This whole study is about, has been about unity and about the church. A great study, that Ephesians study. I just want to say this this morning. Um, so we need to leave room for flexibility. In the essentials, there needs to be unity. In the cross, in the blood, in the word, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There needs to be agreement. There can't be disunity. We have to be unified in the main things. Would you agree with that? We have to be unified, and not just Foursquare, of course. Every church in town, we're in unity with because we agree on the main things. And then, as a consequence, we also ought to give liberty in the non-essentials. We don't know necessarily if it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, and I'm not going to get in a war with you about that. I'm going to give you liberty to pray about it and let it pan out. I think Pastor Scott's called it pan-trib. It'll pan out. Amen? And then, and then, so in those non-essentials, and in all things charity, in all things charity. And let me finish with this last one from Acts 17, 26. This is how 
this is how I hope we can roll. And he made from one common origin, one source, one blood, all nations of men to settle on the face of the earth, having definitely determined their allotted periods of time and, and the fixed boundaries of their habitation, their settlements, lands, and abodes. I'm not going to read that again. Let me just wind it down and make it a little tighter, that statement. Everyone that's sitting here, every one of us, is not random. We are God-ordained for such a time as this. We are God-ordained. God has placed us here. We're shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart. It's not random. It's not coincidence. It's a straight-up God incidence. And if we're going to live together and worship together and hope to see a change together in our city and in our basin and in our state and our nation, let's roll with great unity. Let's be resilient by the Holy Spirit. Let's be a praying people that are armored up and we believe we'll see the kingdom of God expanded for his glory. Amen? Amen. That's what the Lord would say to us this morning. Amen.